Welcome to the Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode number 121. Jeremiah 6. Practical Advice for Evil Times. Last week, Jenny and I published our newest book, Paradise Lost, The Machinery of Evil. It is available now on Amazon. We suggest the Kindle version as it contains the entire text of Milton's Paradise Lost, with line numbers, as the final section of the book. For the reason of economy, the paperback version does not include the poem, as it would increase the book to four times its present length, making printing costs prohibitive. The time of this book's publication, we believe, is divinely planned. The recent and horrific terrorist attacks on Israel make it clear that evil is alive and prospering today. I would predict that the anti-Semitic temperature will rise rather than fall in the wake of Israel's response, though I have also heard some amazing statements of unqualified support from surprising sources, such as the president of the university for which I work, the University of Arizona. I wish that every college president in the U.S. and worldwide would stand so strongly against the butchery and barbarity of these terrorists. Sadly, this is not the case. In many ways, anti-Semitism is more prevalent at the upper levels of academia than I've seen it anywhere else. The hatred of Christians is not far behind, and in many ways is more pervasive. As evil pervades a populace, Nothing offends quite so much as those who maintain moral standards that oppose its progressive march. As I was writing the front and back material for the book, Jenny was reading Jeremiah, and she read me a verse from it. Immediately I knew these verses spoke to our present need. I would like to share them with all of you, with what I hope is some relevant commentary. The people of Israel were God's covenant people from whom the blessing would come to all the earth. As a people set apart, they were to shine God's goodness to all nations. They were to be the city set on a hill that our Lord Jesus would later speak about, and John Winthrop, first governor of Massachusetts, and later both Presidents John F. Kennedy and Ronald Reagan would echo the idea that America was to be a beacon to all the world. Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount that once salt has lost its savor, from where will it regain it? It is fit only to be discarded. When the people of the blessing turn aside, what will happen? The prophet Jeremiah faced this conundrum. To whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. But I am full of the wrath of the Lord, and I cannot hold it in. What to do when no one will listen to reason, to the word of God? The ears of men are closed against God's word. Why? Because it is offensive to them. Christianity and thus Christians have become increasingly offensive to our culture and those within it. 
Their instinctive response to Christians is like that to a disgusting odor. It is a reaction and not a reasoned response. The academy and the sociocultural world have nothing but contempt for believers. As Chesterton says, they are in a revolt and a reaction against Christianity. It is old news in the sense of an anachronism. It is not relevant to our modern world, which has progressed beyond it. It has certainly been my experience that, quote, their ears are closed. I am sometimes amused by Christians who tell stories of seeking to bring the gospel to their neighbors and acquaintances, and are surprised and hurt when after speaking to them about their faith, they no longer seem willing to engage with them. That is, just knowing that you are a Christian who will speak about your faith is sufficient for them to shun you. Who can we speak to in America who has not heard and is not already closed off from giving Christians the time of day? Their ears are closed indeed, and only partially by their own choice. It is common knowledge, they would say, that the Bible is full of errors, that Christians are intolerant and immoral haters of anyone who thinks differently from them. The cultural milieu in which they live, the worldview they have unconsciously accepted as true, has excluded God and substituted the material world for transcendent value. They have learned, in no uncertain terms, that religious faith is a sort of throwback to earlier and more primitive and unscientific times. They are, then, at their most polite, embarrassed to find someone among them who actually believes that stuff. When they are not embarrassed, they are contemptuous at such a foolish and irrational stance that embraces values beyond this world, which is, after all, all there is. If we are to find pleasure, it is here to be found, not in some great beyond. In a word, like the Israelites before us, we have substituted the glory of the immortal God for images of mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. We have substituted the imminent for the transcendent. And when we worship, and no matter what anyone tells you, we cannot fail to worship, something other than God, our paths will go astray as our value systems will have become less rational and natural, less in conformance to God's way. Jeremiah, however, cannot fail to speak. It overflows his consciousness. From the least to the greatest, he goes on, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Like all materialist worldviews, 
Its believers at all levels, from rich to poor, are greedy for gain. That is, they seek to constantly have more for themselves, leading to resentment and class division. In Republic, Plato calls this pleonexia, the insatiable desire to have what rightfully belongs to others. This scheming desire for more is joined with deceit, as it always is, and extends even to the religious leaders, who not only should know better, but whose job it is to uphold truth, to confront the misplaced values, decry the sin, and turn the hearts of the people to higher things. Their job is to heal the people, the culture, to stand firm when everyone else compromises. But there is a twofold problem with the religious leaders. They refuse to diagnose the severity of the problem, treating the malignant cancer as a mere flesh wound, and they themselves compromise, sue for peace from the enemy, when they should be boldly carrying the standard into battle. As Jenny and I have been pursuing our work over the last few weeks, we came across a deeply troubling story. We already knew in varying ways how much the church in our day has given up its salt savor. Christians in the classroom hold positions that directly reflect the degenerate values of our culture. The upcoming generation no longer believes that abortion is wrong that God's love means that he cannot accept sin, that male and female created he them, that God's boundaries are real and not a matter of our choice, that God's laws are not optional. Social constructivism is not only on the rise in the church. It has, in many instances, already won. Evidence? Google for yourself, quote, Andy Stanley's Unconditional Conference. Andy Stanley, son of the well-known evangelical pastor Charles Stanley, who died earlier this year, hosted this conference at his church. He is seen by many as representing the evangelical church, representing the Word of God. This conference sent the unequivocal message that homosexuality is not a sin, and that the church must embrace the modern and progressive notions that are now pervading our culture. Neville Chamberlain returned from his meeting with Adolf Hitler in 1938, proclaiming, quote, peace for our time. He pleaded, peace, peace, to an enemy that had no regard for truth, and adopted the ethic of utilitarianism. The end, peace, justifies the means. This recipe, as Jeremiah so clearly tells us, is never a recipe for peace, but a plea to be dominated, destroyed. There is no peace when we compromise away our most fundamental values to a bully and a liar, like our woke culture today.
The church is bleeding from serious internal wounds. We are long past the time for band-aids from our respected religious leaders. As we say each week, it is a time for no compromise. Jeremiah continues, Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. Are we ashamed of where we are standing? Are we ashamed of what we are doing? Sin, of course, is best avoided. But when, as human beings, we inevitably fail to live up to the standard of perfection, a consciousness of our sin leads to shame. The absence of shame points to the absence of the sin consciousness, the absence of honest self-consciousness. It is then understandable that we cannot hear the word of the Lord, as even our capacity to recognize our need for God's aid, our fallen condition, has been dulled to the point of insensibility. This is what a culture like ours engenders in its people, and has always engendered in people, even in Jeremiah's time. C.S. Lewis makes this point in Mere Christianity. The less conscious we become of our own need, the less likely we will be to know our need of God. And it is a slippery slope. The ancient Israelites fell into this pattern over and over again. We should not be surprised, though we should be alarmed, that we too have followed this easy path, this broad path. And the path, as Jesus points out, leads to destruction. What should we do? This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Christians need to recognize the crossroad at which we stand. We need to remove the sociocultural blinders the world offers us indeed, demands that we wear. We need to see the evil seduction for what it is and ask for, seek the time-tested traditional ancient path laid out for us by God. That path is as ancient as the ancient of days who ordained it for our benefit, seeing it to be very good. And then, having discovered that path, underneath the weeds that we have allowed to overgrow it, we need, as Joshua and others throughout Scripture tell us, to choose you this day, that path, and walk in it. Notice the language of conversion, of turning about and refounding your faith in choice and action. 
This is the only path on which we may find rest for our souls. God reminds us that our culture will choose a different path. But you said, we will not walk in it. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But you said, we will not listen. The we will here recalls those famous words of the deceiver in Isaiah 14, 13 to 15, who said in his heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. It is the inversion of what we are called to do. To listen to God. To walk in His path. This world's path does not lead to peace, no matter what they tell you. Does not lead to rest. We are deceiving ourselves. Jeremiah concludes, Therefore hear, you nations, you who are witnesses, observe what will happen to them. Hear, you earth, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their schemes, because they have not listened to my words and have rejected my law. God's judgment falls as the fruit of their schemes, as the natural order of choosing and traveling the wrong road. The ancient path stands before us, the path to blessing and peace. Peace is not found by avoiding war with a dedicated enemy. If we have not lost our saltiness, we will proclaim these truths from the rooftop in the hopes that his people, called by the name of their Redeemer, will humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, and God will hear and heal our land. But if we continue to cry, peace, Peace, in the spirit of compromise with evil, disaster waits in the wings, the fruit of our schemes, because we have not listened to the words of the Almighty and have rejected His law. Jeremiah 6, 10-19 I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening, and remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.